just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast, and I mean we are back. Now, the last four podcasts previous to this one were all recorded last Thursday and Friday. And I did that, of course, because I was out of town with my wife. We were in Savannah. There was no way to record the podcast. I mean, I suppose I could have done it, but not without pissing off my wife. So I wasn't going to do that. So I pre-recorded podcasts, which means I wasn't able to stay up to date with the current events and the current news in the podcast. That said, I did some TikToks, I did some uh, Facebook and some Instagram, so I kind of stayed up to date with those. Now here we are today. Now podcasts aren't typically live, at least mine aren't. And while this isn't live, at least this podcast, we're back to normal in that it's recorded on the day I release it. So we're talking about the day before and trying to keep up to date with what's going on in the news. And of course, there is a lot of shit going on in the news. Now, I did have uh, an ace up my sleeve on the first three podcasts. I talked to Tyler from Canada, Joshua from the East Coast on the second, and Ed on the third. Those were all great podcasts, and hopefully you enjoyed them. Now, on the fourth one, that was a different story. I didn't have a guest. I didn't even know what to talk about. I'm four days out from anything that would be going on at that time, so I really had no idea what would occur. So I just went with the stream of consciousness as I pointed out in the podcast. So what I mean by that is there's a lot of things that bounce around in my head. And uh, basically, I decided to turn on the mic and just start talking and let it take me wherever I go. Now, I will tell you in advance, uh, in the business of radio, I'm known for my ability to talk, which makes sense because I'm in radio. But I'm not even talking about quality, I'm talking about quantity. I can go for a long time talking about anything and everything. Here's something I learned when I was on the radio doing play-by-play of sports and even the traffic stuff. For me, it's almost momentum. Once I get started talking, I can go for a long period of time. I go down one channel, it'll branch off into something else. The bottom line is... Uh, Some of you may have enjoyed the Stream of Consciousness show. Some of you might have been horrified by it. But, you know, it is what it is. And uh, I appreciate you sticking with me and bearing through it. Now, that said, I know at least one person who liked the show. I got an email from Bruce. And he was talking about the Stream of Consciousness show. He says, hey, Mike. That was pretty damn awesome. You shared some very important life lessons that are timeless. It was inspiring and just as applicable today as it will be tomorrow. It was a lesson in human behavior that never changes. Anyhow, keep up the great work. It's appreciated. 
Now, whether Bruce is right about that show or not, I don't know. I did what I did. And here's the thing. I have a lot of things I've learned in my life, and I've always taken note of it, and I remembered it. And I'm big on not making mistakes twice. So when I go through life and I experience things, I pay attention to those things I made the wise choices on, um, make a mental note of the ones where I was wrong and try to change it. Like I've told you before, I analyze a lot of shit. So everything I do, I'm kind of analyzing it. Is this a good idea? Is this not a good idea? And of course, as a guy who talks like I do, I'm always willing to impart this alleged wisdom. Now, unfortunately, when I try to pass along to my kids, they look at me like, yeah, I've heard that before, or you're old, get out of the way. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I don't know if anybody got anything out of that podcast, but I needed to fill about 50 minutes. And I did the best I could with what I had to offer uh, and the resources available to, available to me. And, and of course, the only resources I had what was what was bouncing around in my head. So, again, if you listened to the show and it wasn't up to what you were hoping for, thank you for bearing with me. We are now back to normal. And, of course, the big news is the third hearing. We've had two hearings since I went on vacation. There should have been more. There was one that was postponed. But these hearings... I want to point something out to you. Prior to the hearings, I've got a lot of people saying, oh, it won't be any big deal. I said in these hearings that they would show us evidence we've never seen. Jamie Raskin said it would blow the roof off the house, and these would be very compelling hearings. Now that you've seen the three hearings out of eight that are coming, five more, I think you have to agree, don't you? I was right that these are very compelling hearings. They're taking it step by step. They're exposing evidence. They're exposing information. And here's the interesting thing. All the testimony you're watching, all of them, are Republicans. And a large percentage of them are Trump inner circle people like Ivanka, like some of these other folks. So this is what makes it real interesting. It's one thing. It's one thing if it's Democrats saying, "Oh, he's a bad guy because of this." But this is coming from Donald Trump's own people. How do you argue that point? I don't think they can. But then you'll say, "Well, Fox News isn't running it." And that was the case when it first started out. What did I tell you about that? I told you that eventually Fox News would be running them because they would be getting far too much heat. And guess what? Fox News is running them now. Now they're making comments in between and such, but they're running on Fox News, which means the great unwashed, at least some of them, are seeing this. And what they are seeing is that Trump's own people are saying these things. So even for the dumbest folks, that's got to hit home with them. That's got to make them think about it. We need that information exposed to as many people as possible. And if we can get it on Fox News and get some of the uh, toothless rednecks to hear it, 
That's a good thing. You know, we, we, we talk about the base, and the base is essentially about 32% of this country. And, of course, you have the Democrats, which is about 50% of this country. People always say you'll never convince the Trumplicans, and that's true. We won't. But there's that 20% of the Republican Party that probably has a more reasonable mind. So what we need to do is point the narrative at them. Let them know exactly what's going on. And since they're not completely under the power of a cult, maybe they can understand some reason. And if we can get that 20% to not vote Republican, not vote for Donald Trump, not vote in the midterms for the Republican Party, then it's an easy win for the Democrats. So understand what we're trying to do here. These hearings are quite compelling and earth-shattering, and they're just going to get bigger as time goes on. There's five more planned right now, but don't be surprised if there are more in July and August. That's a distinct possibility. And all those people bemoaning the fact that Fox News wasn't running them, I told you, they are going to start running them, and damned if they didn't, and they didn't wait very long. They knew they looked stupid. They knew they were going to get some heat for not running it. The fact that they didn't run it probably gave the hearings more publicity than if they did. So, there we are. Now, in terms of the last hearing, there are some things that came up in the hearing that are pretty amazing. Apparently, Trump was told Eastman's plan was illegal. But he tried it anyway. His own people went to him and says, you can't do this. It's illegal. There were many revelations, but the perhaps most important one, Trump was told repeatedly that his plan for Pence to overturn the election on January 6th was illegal. But he tried to do it anyway. So that goes to the question, did Donald Trump understand what he was doing was illegal. Well, yes, of course he was. He only hires the best people. His own advisors are telling them this, but he chose to do it anyway. And why? Well, Donald Trump's not used to getting what he wants, or he is used to getting what he wants, and he's not used to being denied. So even though his own people told him this, of course, he thinks he's smarter than all of them, and he thinks he can game this situation. Well, it's unfortunately not working out too well for him. Now, the panel tied the Mike Pence pressure campaign to January 6th violence. The committee tried to connect Trump's pressure campaign against Pence to the violence on January 6th by weaving together testimony from Pence aides, Trump's public statements, and comments from rioters at the Capitol. Some of the most compelling evidence came from the rioters themselves. Many of them had listened to Trump's rallies where he claimed inaccurately that the election was rigged against him and Pence had the power to do something about it while presiding over the Electoral College certification. While the insurrection was underway, they cited Trump's comments about Pence. See, Trump knew it was illegal, which tells you a lot about his guilt. But he thought, well, let's, let's throw Pence under the bus. Let's make him do this, and who knows, maybe it works. But if it doesn't, it'll be him that suffers the consequences, which isn't true. 
And, you know, many of these trump these insurrectionists, saw in real time Trump, Trump's tweet criticizing Pence while the Capitol was under attack, where he said Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done. Now, this is while the attack's going on, and now he's saying Pence wimped out on us here. And he uses that term, wimp. We'll talk about that later. But he's basically inciting these folks right now. We were hoping for Pence to do the right thing, but he didn't. You people attacking the Capitol, you're fighting for America. And a lot of these people believe that. The point of highlighting this on Thursday was to lay the blame for the violence at Trump's feet. And right after the attack, many top Republicans agreed with that conclusion. But over the last year and a half, many Republicans have shied away from blaming Trump and the committee in hopes to change that. Now, former Trump White House attorney, his own attorney, Eric Hirschman, told the committee that Eastman, John Eastman, told him he was willing to accept violence in order to overturn the 2020 election. The panel played video from Hirschman's deposition where he described a conversation with Eastman about his claims the vice president could overturn the election. Hirschman basically told him that that, that's not possible. If you took this to the Supreme Court, you would lose nine to zero. Eastman himself, even though he's offering this possibility, he said, yeah, now we'd probably lose seven to two. So he knew what he was doing was going to be found unconstitutional, illegal, whatever. And later he even agreed, yeah, you're probably right. It would go nine zero against him. But he still didn't stop. He thought no reason to stop because he thought he was protected by Donald Trump. Well, the moment Donald Trump didn't, wasn't president anymore, therein lied the end of any protection. The danger to Pence was real. I mean, it was, he was really in trouble. The mob got about 40 feet from the vice president at one point in the Capitol. The committee underscored that Pence was in real danger on January 6th, and the panel made the case that Trump was to blame. And, of course, he was to blame. It's one thing to incite them to attack the Capitol, but the next thing was that he said he was disappointed. He was angry with Pence for not doing what he was told to do by Donald Trump. Now, the mob got about 40 feet from Pence. That's a little more than a first down in a football football game. Rioters threatened him by name and were enraged that he didn't overturn the election because they believed Trump's lie that Pence could unilaterally nullify Joe Biden's victory in the Electoral College. Pence's job in this particular situation was more ceremonial than anything. There was no constitutional opportunity for him to overturn the election. Vice President Pence was a focus of the violent attack, and this was said by Representative Pete Aguilar, a California Democrat. Now, Pence's team evacuated, and the committee showed new images of then-Vice President sheltering in a basement bunker in the U.S. Capitol as the violence unfolded. Pence and his wife Karen Pence reacted with frustration to the fact that Trump 
never called to check on them. He never checked to see if these people were okay. There was one picture where it showed um, Pence's wife closing the curtain so nobody would see that Mike Pence was sitting there. Now, the other thing to note was Eastman wouldn't take no for an answer on overturning the election. The hearing underscored how Eastman had pushed over and over for Pence to try to overturn the election, despite facing sharp resistance from White House lawyers and Pence's team, and in spite of the fact that he knew very well that it was illegal, it wasn't possible. Even after the riot at the Capitol, Eastman was still pursuing efforts to block the election result. The committee revealed Eastman's actions in many ways mirrored those of Trump, who also refused to accept Pence's rejection and lashed out the vice president in his speech on Twitter. The committee played testimony from the video depositions where White House officials explained how they thought Eastman's theory was nutty before January 6 and told him so. Jacob described Eastman's plans as certifiably crazy. Now, Jacob, Pence's chief counsel, described the meeting he had with Eastman on January 4th and 5th, including when Eastman directly asked Pence to reject the electors. All these people were telling him it's crazy. But here's what's troubling. All these people knew it was crazy. They knew it was unconstitutional. They knew it was illegal. But they didn't say a fucking word. They, did, they waited until now to talk about it, because now they're trying to back out from their own fucking guilt. Eastman emailed Giuliani about receiving a presidential pardon. Here's the interesting thing. Eastman emailed Rudy Giuliani a few days after January 6th, 2021, and asked to be included on a list of potential recipients of a presidential pardon. The committee revealed during Thursday's hearing, the committee said Eastman made the request to Giuliani in an email. This is uh, what Eastman said. I've decided that I should be on the pardon list if it, that is still in the works. The email from Eastman to Giuliani read, Eastman did not ultimately receive a pardon and refused to answer the committee's question about his role in efforts to overturn the 2020 election, repeatedly pleading the fifth during his deposition. The committee argued Thursday's hearing that Eastman's request for a pardon and his decision to repeatedly plead the fifth when questioned previously by the panel indicates that Eastman knew his actions were potentially criminal. Well, of course. He said by pleading the fifth that I'm afraid I'm going to implicate myself. And why would you ask for a pardon if you didn't feel as though you were guilty? See, that's the fucked up thing about Eastman. He came up with the uh, the plan to go after this attempted coup, this insurrection. Everybody told him it was crazy. Everybody told him it was illegal. He admitted that it was crazy and illegal and had no chance to get by in the Supreme Court. Then he pleads the fifth when he's deposed. And then we find out that he asked for a pardon. If that motherfucker isn't guilty, I don't know who is. Now, there is a retired judge. His, uh, 
I think his name is Ludig. And Ludig turns part parts of the hearing into a lengthy constitutional seminar. Now, the January 6th committee hearings to date have been briskly produced affairs with emotional, violent video interspersed with testimony from depositions and minimal live witness testimony. Now, on Thursday, Ludig, a retired judge, had other ideas. Ludig gave lengthy, meandering issues with a halting approach that stretched on while he dove into issues like the history of the Electoral Count Act. Now, Ludig's comments were basically the opposite of must-see TV. The primetime hearings that the committee has signaled as holding to try to connect the American public. Now, he was very slow, very plodding, but he's a very well-respected guy amongst Republicans and Democrats. You see, Ludig or Ludig, uh, is a conservative judge, so he's got no axe to grind here. Now, at the same point, at the same time, the the points Luddick made about how the legal schemes Eastman and Trump meant, Trump pushed were baseless, and Trump was told as much before January six. We talked about that. Were essentially essential to the committee's case, trying to connect Trump's efforts to overturn the election to the uh, violence, but his deliver, delivery got, a, got in the way of the message. But basically he said, he said that by what Trump and Eastman did puts our democracy at risk, puts our country at risk. And as I say, he is a guy that uh, is well-respected. He's the one that made the claim that Donald Trump and John Eastman most likely committed crimes. This is all coming out in the January 6th hearings. And as I've told you before, it's going to be a lot of big shit that comes out and it's going to be all laid bare. So everybody knows there's no argument about it. Now, one thing that we heard that was kind of interesting is that the DOJ is now demanding all the documents and videotapes from the January 6th committee. And they have yet to agree to that. And some people are mad. Why wouldn't the January 6th committee turn that stuff over to the DOJ? Well, my question is, why hasn't the DOJ done anything on these particular crimes until now asking the January 6th committee for the documentation? See, this is starting to look a little embarrassing for the DOJ. These are pretty egregious crimes, and they've been committed blatantly. Now the DOJ is looking dumb. Now that said, the DOJ is in the midst of some investigations. They have a grand jury for the January 6th committee, uh, January 6th insurrection, that is, and they want the documents from the January 6th committee. Now they will give them to the DOJ. But I think what they want to do here is, given the DOJ hasn't done jack up to this point, that they want to take everything they have and present it in such a way that they're not obstructed or anybody was sticking their nose in it. So they're holding the evidence to themselves until they get through these hearings. And in, in such, t- and after that, they will, of course, turn them over to the DOJ. I don't know what their concern is with the DOJ, 
but clearly there is some. I think the hearings are going quite well. So why would you turn them over to the DOJ now? The DOJ can, they offered the DOJ to come into their offices and take a look at everything, copy things if they wanted. But the January 6th committee wants to maintain a certain amount of control at this point. I think they're concerned of the DOJ sticking their nose in, confusing things, making things chaotic. And they probably aren't exactly sold on Merrick Garland yet. Yes, Merrick Garland and the DOJ are doing some things with the grand jury and some other things, but they've been very slow about it. So instead of handing things over to Merrick Garland and the DOJ right now and slowing things down, they want to maintain the pace they have with these hearings. The first three have been devastating to the Republicans, just as I predicted. But the next five, they are probably going to be worse and the, Repub- or the Democrats and the January 6th committee want to maintain control. I get that. Now, after the DOJ hears all this evidence, the idea that they wouldn't have some kind of indictments, including Donald Trump, is just mind-boggling if they don't do that. But as I say, it seems to me that they are trying to make up for a lot of shit they haven't done at this point. And that's good news. They're now feeling pressure. I mean, there's people who will say, well, they're afraid that uh, if they indict Donald Trump, there will be all kinds of violence in the streets. I disagree. The trump are bullies. Bullies are typically cowards. Now, It's easy enough to attack the Capitol when you know the police have been uh, hamstringed and the National Guard isn't going to be let out. They know they can do what they can do. But now, here's a different story. If we start to see violence in the streets, Donald Trump isn't there to hinder any any policing of this. Uh, It's going to be Joe Biden. It's going to be the Democrats. And I'll be honest with you, if these fucking clowns want to play games like they did at the Capitol, it's not going to go so well. They are going to receive some pushback, and it's going to be dangerous, and they are going to have a lot of problems. Personally, in my mind, I think there's more chance for violence if they don't indict Donald Trump and all the other people around him. And the reason I say that, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Uh, It's one thing for the Republicans to get mad for their Lord and Savior being indicted. I don't think they'll do much, and if they do, they'll be shut down in a fucking minute. Where I think the potential violence is, is if nobody gets indicted, the Republicans win in the midterms, and now we've got a lot of Democrats who see this country being lost. Everybody's talking about if we don't miss the midterms, our democracy is shot. If that occurs, there's going to be a lot of people who are scared and mad. And don't make the mistake to think the Democrats won't fight. I think there's more opportunity for violence if they don't indict these people and if the Democrats lose the midterms. All right, we will take a quick break and we will be right back. On every show, I tell you that if you have questions, comments, or complaints, 
just reach out to me at rationalboomer at gmail.com. Those emails come directly to me, and your input is crucial to this show. The show is called Rational Boomer Podcast, but that's not to suggest that I'm the Rational Boomer. I am not. I am simply a Rational Boomer. All of you are Rational Boomers. Anybody of a like mind is a Rational Boomer. Strength comes in numbers and not through an individual. You have perceptions and insights that may have never occurred to me. This isn't a show about me. This is a show about us and gaining a voice in this country. There's 70 million baby boomers in this country. Yeah, I know the younger folks would prefer to push us aside. Every generation has done that. But we are a formidable force if we can get together and speak in one voice. This is why I encourage you to let your friends and family know about the Rational Boomer podcast, not to satisfy my ego, but to give us more power, a stronger voice to help right this ship we call the United States of America. Lastly, I'm offering the opportunity for my listeners to be on the show. Now, it could be two minutes, it could be a half hour, it could be the whole fucking show. I'd much rather have you on the show than somebody pimping a podcast or a book. I want to hear what you think. I want to know what you know. The Rational Boomer Podcast is all about us. So it seems that the January 6th committee has come up with more emails between John Eastman architect of the attempted coup, and Ginny Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, and of course, uh, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. And this shines an even brighter light on Ginny Thomas's guilt in the January 6th insurrection. She was a big player in this. Something you need to understand about this little group. Yes, Ginny Thomas has known John Eastman for a long time. And this is because John Eastman clerked for her husband, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. So these fucking idiots have had this little threesome going on for decades. Clarence Thomas will say, I don't have anything to do with what my wife is doing. Really? Well, if you've been married, you know that's bullshit. And secondly, he knows John Eastman as well as Jenny Thomas does. The idea that these three don't interact or don't talk is just absurd. It's fucking ridiculous. I want to clarify something, too. I, I don't know where they got this, but there is some TikToker out there claiming that John Eastman is the brother of Linda Eastman, who was better known as Linda McCarty, the late Linda McCartney, married to Paul McCartney. This is not true. Now, she does have a brother. She did have a brother when she was alive named John Eastman. And he is a lawyer, not the same guy. So if you hear somebody telling you that shit, they apparently don't know how to use Google or Wikipedia. It is fucking bullshit. Anyway, now the January 6th committee chair, Benny Thompson, after seeing these emails, has extended an invitation to appear in front of the committee to Jenny Thomas. Now, she did respond to this, not directly to the January 6th committee, but to the press. And it's kind of interesting, a little surprising, and maybe a little bit of bullshit. Virginia Jenny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, told the Daily Caller on Thursday 
that she looked forward to speaking with the House Select Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol. She's looking forward to it. Is that like Donald Trump saying, yeah, I can't wait to give you my taxes, but then never do? Jenny Thomas isn't going to have many options here. She's in the thick of it when it comes to the conspiracy of the January 6th insurrection. Now, she can say she wants to talk, but she hasn't made that comment to the January 6th committee yet. But hopefully, she will be put in a chair and asked questions. Now, the, 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 the interesting thing, and the panel said earlier in the day, it planned to seek her testimony hours after media reports emerged indicating the committee had received emails between Thomas and Trump campaign attorney. This is what she said. I can't wait to clear up the misconceptions, Thomas told the Daily Caller. I look forward to them. Really, Jenny, do you? <laughs> the conservative news outlet said it pressed Thomas to detail, detail those misconceptions, but did not immediately receive a response. So she wants to talk to the January 6th committee. She's excited about it. She's anxious for it. Now, here's a worrisome thing with Ginny Thompson or Thomas. She's a big QAnon freak. She's talking about the stupidest, crazy shit. Now, is she going to sit in a January 6th committee and embarrass herself and talk about all this crazy shit? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if she did. That's about all she can do. She can just deny, 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 and make all these conspiracy claims, and hopefully she can be smart enough to talk around him, around them. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, she has no opportunity of that. She'll look nothing but foolish, and she will ultimately be in, indicted and prosecuted and probably convicted because all the evidence is right there. Representative Benny Thompson, the chairman of the January 6th uh, panel, told reporters on Thursday that the committee would send an invite to Thomas at some point in the next few weeks. Thompson's statement came after the Washington Post reported on Wednesday evening that the committee received emails between Thomas and Trump campaign attorney John Eastman, who circulated a memo outlining a strategy for then-Vice President Mike Pence to overturn the 2020 election. The Post reported the email's existence while saying that sources declined to provide further details about the communications. You think the January 6th committee leaked that on purpose? I'm guessing they might have. Thomas's attempts to overturn the election results have drawn fierce criticism, criticism from Democrats. The Post reported on Friday that Thomas emailed 29 Arizona state lawmakers in an attempt to reverse President Biden's win in the states. Thomas's involvement in the efforts has raised ethical questions over her husband's role in deciding cases related to the election in January 6th. Justice Thomas has argued his decisions are entirely separate from his wife's activism. But as I say, her main contact is John Eastman. John Eastman used to clerk for Clarence Thomas. Can we really believe that everything his wife does is separate from what the Supreme Court justice does? I, I don't see how that's possible. 
Now, the New York Times reported late Wednesday evening that Eastman, in a December 24, 2020 email, claimed to have insight into a heated fight among the Supreme Court justices about whether to take up a case related to then-President Trump's efforts to overturn the election results. Eastman became a major figure in the panel's televised hearing on Thursday as the committee sought to detail Trump and his allies' campaign to pressure Pence into the lead-up of January 6th. A formal federal, a former federal judge who briefly served as an um, informa- informal advisor to the Pence testified at the hearing that Pence would have led an unconstitutional revolution by following the memo's proposals. And that, of course, is the judge we talked about earlier, Ludig. <laughs> now, here's a funny story. I, I did a TikTok about this. Representative Lauren Boebert, Bimbo Boebert, Lauren Hobert, whatever you want to call her. And the, the information came out that Lauren Boebert at one time was an escort, and she was on a web page called sugardaddymeat.com. Now, apparently she became entangled with uh, a member or an offspring or somebody of the Koch brothers. Now, you know who the Koch brothers are. They're these evil guys. I think one of them's dead now, thankfully. But these evil guys that basically fed Republicans all kinds of money to get their agenda put across. And, of course, the Republicans gladly accepted it. They were basically one of the groups of people that were behind the whole concept of trickle-down. Yeah, that's that's those fucks. Well, apparently, somebody in the Koch family had some kind of, uh, I won't say relationship, it was more a business proposition. Uh, and in addition to her being an escort, it was reported that she had two abortions. Now, this all ended up with somehow Ted Cruz being involved and Ted Cruz giving her $126,000 and a lot of help to run for the House of Representatives in Colorado where she is. See, that's the thing. Ted is in Texas. She's in Colorado. Why would he do that? Now, a lot of people think that... uh, Ted Cruz probably slept with her, maybe got her pregnant, and she was uh, blackmailing him. But I think it's a little deeper than that. I mean, let's be honest. I can't picture Ted Cruz going after a hooker. I can't picture Ted Cruz being able to get it up unless he's standing in front of Donald Trump while he's wearing a fucking thong. That goofy fuck. <laughs> Sex isn't even in his mind. So I made a suggestion of how this scenario might might have been. I don't know if I'm right, and it's a rumor. I'll grant you that, and it's just my guess. We know the Koch brothers were involved. We know somebody in the Koch family did have something to do with Lauren Boebert. And maybe, just maybe, that Koch offspring may have gotten Lauren Boebert pregnant. So now she's blackmailing or they just don't want this kind of public uh, exposure. 
So my concept is this. The Koch brothers did not like this scenario. They wanted to get their relative clear and free of this. So they then went to the biggest suck-ass of anybody in this country, which would be Ted Cruz, and said, Ted, here's $126,000. Shut this bitch up and get her a seat in the House of Representatives, even though it's not in your state. Here's the $126,000. You take care of it. The whole idea of Ted getting involved sexually with Lauren Boebert does not make sense to me. The only person he loves is him fucking self. And so I don't see him doing that. But I do see him getting on bended knee when the Koch brothers, who probably feed him a lot of money, say, Teddy, take care of this shit. The important thing is all this information has gotten out. Now, while this information has gotten out, Representative Lauren Boebert plans to sue that PAC for defamation after it made the series of wild claims about her without evidence assertions that quickly spread online. Yeah, she looked bad. She looked really bad. The source of the claims is the American Muckrakers PAC. As a group, uh, that was also behind the release of a number of salacious videos of Representative Madison Cawthorn ahead of his May primary, which he lost. Now, the interesting thing about everything they released about Madison Cawthorn, it was true. So they have a track record here. But while videos released showing Cawthorn were confirmed and verifiable, the PAC's claims about Boebert are not. Some details have been directly refuted. Well, the evidence hasn't been released as yet, but I'm guessing they have the opportunity to release some. Now, Muckrakers published these outlandish statements knowing that they were fabricated, but you likely operated under the inaccurate assumption that publishing false statements against a public figure would not create legal liability. This will be a costly miscalculation for Muckrakers, Wheeler, and Muckrakers donor, Jonathan Anderson, a lawyer for Boebert, wrote in a Wednesday letter to David Wheeler. That is, unless they do have evidence. And I have a feeling they do. Now, Boebert told the Washington Examiner that the allegations were completely false, sexist, and disgusting. (laughs) The audacity of some crazy bitch like this, all the things she says... She's against the woman's right to choose, but she may have had two abortions herself. This is very damaging, and that is why I'm going after this guy personally and his group with the full force of the law. You tell him, Bobert. <laughs> I'm not holding back, and I want to make sure that this never happens to anyone else again. Now, the gentleman from the Muckrakers, Wheeler, is standing by the core parts of the claim, saying that he trusts his sources, but he also acknowledged problems with the initial report. Some of what we put out was sloppy, Wheeler told the Hill, but he said that does not undermine the credibility or the validity of what his sources have shared with Boebert. 
The PAC said it received this information from a verified source close to the matter and provided heavily redacted screenshots of text messages from an unknown source as well as photos of Boebert. No other information was, uh, was provided to back up the claims. Falsely claiming the congresswoman worked as a prostitute is disgusting and a sexist statement that, as you know, has zero basis in fact, the letter from Anderson, her lawyer, said. (laughs) Well, here's the interesting thing about that. When told they were going to be sued, the muckrakers said, yeah, let's do that. Why don't you sue us? Then we can sit you down for a deposition and ask you questions that you need to answer under oath. You see, the muckrakers don't seem to be too worried about this lawsuit. In fact, they look like they're welcoming it. And this will give them an opportunity to expose Lauren Boebert even more so. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen with that. She's not going to sue him. They're going to hope it dies down. She had to come back with some kind of uh, slap back and say, we're going to sue you. We're above it all. We're the fact is, this whole fucking thing is probably true. Now, some people have said, well, you're just slut shaming. No, that's not the point. The point is this person, Lauren Boebert, has said some horrific things about uh, people in our government, our, go- our government itself. She is a cancer on this society on our government and we need to take this person down we need to take her out now people have said to me oh you're 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 lowering yourself to being uh, passing along rumors well first and foremost i'm saying it is a rumor i'm not saying it's fact i'm saying it's a rumor but they say you shouldn't do that you're no better than them you're lowering yourself Well, here's the deal. I have a lot of respect for Michelle Obama. And I respect what she said, when they go low, we go high. But my question is, that's what the Democrats have been doing. How is that working for you? It's not. See, the problem with bullies, they only understand certain things. They don't relate to you going higher because they can't comprehend that whole concept. Sometimes you got to get down in the mud with them and fight with them and beat them because that is the only thing they understand. I'm sorry if I'm not a weeping liberal. I'm sorry if I'm not just forgiving and want to turn the other cheek. That's not who I am. I'm not a Democratic liberal. I'm not a conservative Republican. I'm all about what's true, what's right, and what's good. Lowen Bolbert offers none of those uh, in her position with the House of Representatives. The best thing we can do is get her out of the system as quickly as possible. Now, she may lose in her, in her election in November, but even still, we need to get her gone. And if we can expose her for the fucking nutcase she is, I mean, let's be honest— Her past that we know for sure is truthful is sketchy enough. The idea that she would be broke and entering into prostitution or being a sugar baby or whatever the fuck it is, that's not out of the realm of possibility. The idea that she may have had two 
abortions. That's not out of the realm of possibility. Now, whether it's true or not, if it destroys Lauren Boebert, I'm good with that. And some of you may say, well, that's not fair. That's not the decent thing to do. Well, we've tried the decent thing. Hasn't fucking worked. So let's get down and fight on their level and beat them at their fucking level. All right. Now, here's a funny one. This, this I love this. <laughs> Just hours before the House Select Committee was to begin its third televised hearing on the January 6th Capitol riot, former President Donald Trump took to his true social account. Oh, that's going well, isn't it? And what he did was to demand he be given airtime on the same networks to lay out what he describes as evidence of massive voter fraud and Dem security breach. Well, isn't that what Mike Lindell's been trying to do for fucking two years? Prove? Come to us with all this proof? Now, he followed that up moments later with, I demand equal time. <laughs> well, Don, that would be nice, but you forgot the Republicans, your boys, did away with the fairness doctrine. The whole idea of equal time no longer exists because of you fucking Republicans. Now, on Thursday, viewers were reportedly going to be presented with evidence of Trump's attempts to bully former Vice President Mike Pence into overturning the will of the voters in the 2020 presidential election that uh, one retired federal judge, as we talked about, tantamount, said tantamount to a revolution. Now, on the precipice of more damaging information coming out about his attempts to steal the election, Trump jumped on Truth Social to rage at the fake news networks. This is what he's always done. What he's trying to do is drown out the truth and the facts. And back when he was president, he could do that. He can't do that anymore. He doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the ability to communicate with the people like you once did with Twitter. The fake news networks are perpetuating lies, falsehood, and Russia, Russia, Russia type disinformation. Same sick people, here we go again, by allowing the low-rated but nevertheless one-sided and slanderous <laughs> unselect committee hearings to go endlessly and aimlessly on and on and on, he wrote. It is a one-sided, highly partisan witch hunt, the likes of which has never been seen in Congress before. Therefore, I hereby demand equal time to spell out massive voter fraud and Dem security breach. <laughs> Liz Cheney, vice chair of the House Committee reinvestigating the Capitol riot, said its third June hearing addressed Trump's relentless effort on January 6th in 2021, in the days before hand uh, to cajole, uh, cajole uh, Mike Pence into rejecting Joe Biden's victory. Well, Eric Swalwell said something interesting in response to Donald Trump's claim for equal time. He said, well, you know, you're more than welcome to sit in front of the January 6th committee and tell us all the truths, show us all the evidence. So stop dicking around and show up for an interview. Well, you know he won't. He wants to go on some television station and get all the coverage like he was president 
and let him spill his bullshit, his conspiracy theories, and his lies. Well, he's not going to get that opportunity. He can cry all he wants. He can demand all he wants. But since that fairness doctrine has gone away by the hands of the Republicans, he's fucked. He's not going to get it. You keep reporting on your little shitty app or send out these stupid fucking press releases because, Donnie, that's all you got left. And uh, I wanted to mention one last thing because this guy is one of the few people that are dumber than Donald Trump. Herschel Walker, Georgia's Republican Senate nominee seeking to unseat Senator Raphael Warnock, is facing new scrutiny after revelations of multiple children that had not been publicly discussed as first reported by the Daily Beast. Now here's the deal. Walker, who has spoken about the problem of fatherless homes, had only talked about his 22-year-old son, Christian, on the campaign trail. Now, if you've seen Christian, he claims not to be gay. And it doesn't matter if he's gay, but he's an obnoxious fuck. He's getting a lot of backlash, and he's just spouting the same things that Donald Trump and his stupid fucking father are spouting. He claims... That's his only offspring. But the Daily Beast found Walker has three other children by three other women that he doesn't acknowledge. I'm sure he probably paid them off or whatever, but he doesn't acknowledge them. You see the problem here? It's like I graduated from college at the top of my class. Well, no, you didn't graduate. I was valedictorian of my high school. Well, no, that's not true. You had a business that was highly successful. No, that's not true. And then you go out and say you want to put down those families uh, that are fatherless families. Um, Take to task the men who abandon their families. And what's he do? He's got three kids from three other women that nobody ever heard about. And he has no part in raising these kids. I mean, this guy's not only stupid, but he's a fucking hypocrite on top of it. (laughs) I was just in Georgia, as you know, and I've seen some Herschel Walker signs down there. Not a lot of them, just a few here and there, and I can't think that he'll possibly win. I think Raphael Warnock will beat him handily. And, and this is one of those situations I told you about. Donald Trump is endorsing certain candidates in the Republican Party. And people are really worried about that his endorsees will actually get, get the nomination. And I don't want you to be worried about it. People will say to me, well, if they get in, we're in trouble. What you don't understand is the crazier these fucks are, the less chance they have to get in. Raphael Warnock beat uh, Purdue for the Senate seat. And David Purdue is a Trump humper and a little crazy, but nowhere near as crazy as Herschel Walker. So if Warnock can beat Purdue, he certainly can beat Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker has done so many things to embarrass himself, it's fucking ridiculous. And guess what? We still have uh, five months until the November election. 
guarantee you more revelations, more lies, more bullshit will come out about Herschel Walker between now and then. Herschel Walker doesn't have a chance against Warnock, and uh, I'd be willing to bet on that. He's just too much of a loser, too much of a liar, and uh, he's got some emotional and uh, anger issues. This guy is a poor candidate for Senate. The Republicans couldn't come up with a worse candidate. In fact, the Republicans know he's a bad candidate, but they couldn't do anything because they wouldn't kick back on Donald Trump, who endorsed him, just like Donald Trump endorsed Oz. Here's another crazy fuck. I would much rather have um, with uh, Dr. Oz go against Fetterman because they're total opposite ends of the spectrum. You get in a debate with these two, Dr. Oz will look like an idiot. Fetterman is more normal, more sensible, and a better bet. Dr. Oz, half the people in Pennsylvania don't like this fuck anyway. So let Donald Trump's endorsees be the candidates. It just means a better chance for the Democrats. All right, we're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. Like I said, I'm back to normal now, so uh, stick with me here. You have a great day, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.